Hey, thank you all for listening to No Sanity Required, the podcast. We are going to talk today with, uh, um, I'm sitting down with Jessica Hoover. Jessica was uh, a young lady in her late teens, early 20s, who served as an intern at Snowbird, ended up spending a few years on staff here, met a young man who was on staff here at the time, Kyle Hoover, and they married here at Snowbird, and then life and, and the Lord's calling and leading has taken them on a lot of cool adventures are literally around the globe. Kyle has actually done some some crazy work in completely closed places where um, people are not allowed to go with an evangelistic approach. But he's a scientist. He's he's uh, he he works in the area of geology and um, groundwater, wastewater, freshwater, clean. He's a water guy. He's a water table guy. I don't even know what all he does, but he's a smart dude and he's a scientist and he loves Jesus and and uh, and God used that as a platform to get them to some cool places. They've also, uh, Jessica, from the time she was here, very passionate about um, a Christian's approach to feminism, complementarianism, egalitarianism. Where do women find their purpose, their value, their calling? Um, what is God created and designed for women to do and be and she's she's kind of devoted her life to that but more recently she's she's really given her life to the work of advocacy for preborn humans unborn babies but also for mothers caring for mamas who are torn and in the decision making process of keeping a baby versus going through with an abortion how do we love them well minister to them She's going to, in, in our conversation, she'll break some of the nuances and the cliches of the, the pro-life rhetoric and movement and, and, and expose, I think, some things that have been done wrong and poorly, but also um, give some good instruction and direction on how, to, how do we effectively advocate for unborn children and, and preborn humans while also caring about the souls and the spiritual condition of mamas and also being sympathetic and empathetic to the condition of their plight, their, their, um, the trajectory of their lives. Oftentimes they're put in a, a situation that they're so desperate they don't know what to do and how can we love them well without, comp- without compromising the gospel and out com- without compromising God's plan for human life. And I'm excited to sit down with her. We won't probably get through everything today, so this will probably be multiple episodes. We'll hear her background, her story. She's got a crazy story that involved losing both parents in childhood, but not at the same time. Just crazy. Um, and then how that has had God has used that in the trajectory of her life. And um, she's a mama. She's a, a believer. She's a leader. She's an advocate, and she's she's uh, anointed. I believe by God and of the Lord to do the work that he's called her to do. And I'm excited for you to hear from Jessica Hoover. Thanks for, for listening. Welcome to no sanity required. Welcome to no sanity required from the ministry of snowbird wilderness outfitters, a podcast about the Bible culture and stories from around the globe. What does this mean to you? When I say this, Pro-woman, pro-preborn. Pro-woman, pro-preborn. We want to shake some things up for people, get you thinking outside of the, the traditional box of, of um, pro-life advocacy. Pro-woman, pro-preborn. What, is, what does that mean? What, what, what does that trigger? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So during my time working in pregnancy care, I was really looking for a way to continue to kind of make inroads to where I could build relationships with women who were in a crisis pregnancy sort of situation. And so I became a birth doula, which is, again, kind of like a fancy way of saying a birth coach. And through that, you had to, I had to do a bunch of trainings, and none of these trainings were, I think there was maybe like one or two other Christians that I was with in this. And again, I was in Asheville, known for being a very progressive area. A lot of people who are definitely like into more new age thinking and um, into homeopathic, naturopathic medicine, all that kind of stuff. And so I would be in these trainings and they could tend to be a little touchy feely, which was always weird, but you know, to each his own in that. But they um, would have these trainings that I have to go to and one time we took a quiz and the quiz was about you know when you're working with a woman 
who is pregnant, are you more focused on the woman or are you more focused on the baby? Which was meant to kind of direct you in kind of your work as to, to how you best functioned in the work that we were doing. And I took this quiz and it very quickly became evident to me that I was very, very focused on the women that I was working with. And that's not to say that I didn't care about their their babies, their unborn children, but I just realized, wow, I am I am very much focused on everything that this woman needs, which um, actually made me a really good counselor for women who were facing unplanned pregnancies. But what it also made me realize was that if I wasn't a believer, I would probably be pro-choice, which was a sobering thought. Mm. I thought, I really care about these women and I want the absolute best. And apart from Christ, I would do anything to help them. I would push them in directions that would definitely not be good directions as far as what I thought they should, should do if they were facing unplanned pregnancy. Again, apart from Christ. And so you asked me the question about pro-woman versus pro-preborn. And um, there's a lot of language here that you hear a lot of times when it comes to the pro-life movement. You often, uh, we often talk about the unborn, caring for the unborn. And I used the word pre-born um, because I think, one, um, I don't think there's a problem with using the term unborn, but uh, the term pre-born again, just kind of drives home the fact that you're, you're dealing with a human being. When you kind of use that prefix un, you kind of hear not, not born, not this, not that. Preborn, we're just implying that this is, this is a human that's just yet to be born. Mm-hmm. And so what we do to it or don't do to it prior to it being born matters. And so we have to look as people who believe that humans are made in the image of God and have inherent value and um, have certain traits because of being created in the image of God, we have to be able to hold in both hands, both the woman who is carrying a child and both their preborn or unborn child. And when we get that out of balance, when we are elevating one over the other, that's when we experience these kind of abortion wars, um, in which I think at a, at a lot of points, the pro-life movement has swung way far to the right of, of caring for, for the life of the preborn or unborn child, but maybe neglecting to care for the very real reality that the woman who is carrying that child is facing. And so in order to have a gospel-centered or gospel-driven worldview and apologetic for this, we, we have to be able to balance the two. Yes, when we're talking about an unborn child, you're talking about the most innocent of life that can do nothing to defend itself. But at the same time, we have to hold in view this woman who's carrying this child and the very real fears, hurts, difficulties that she may face. It doesn't mean that we, we change anything that we view about the value of the life of this baby. Um, but we've got to be able to balance the, the two, seeing both as being made in the image of God. And so I realized at that point that that I really needed to kind of balance that worldview for, for myself, recognizing that my own sinful tendency was going to be to, to kind of side on the side of the mother, um, even though I was very pro-life, um, but to, to really be able to balance that perspective. And so um, I already at that point was involved in working in in pregnancy resource work. And I remember being at another training at that time where the woman who had trained me as a doula, but was very clearly pro-choice, she was talking and all the people in this room were were lamenting the fact, and again, these were not, this is not a group of believers. It was a very secular group of people from all different backgrounds who had one thing in common, which was that we were working in this uh, birth coach doula work. And uh, they were lamenting the, just not having enough resources 
for some of the women they were working with who were maybe low income, who ha- who were just struggling to take care of their children. And so I spoke up and I told them about the pregnancy center and how we had supplies that we could help them with. We could direct them to other services in the community. Well, the woman that had been my trainer and was leading this, she looks at me and she says, oh, I know that place. And I said, oh, you, okay. And she said, yeah, um, that's the place that won't refer for abortions. And I said, well, you're right. We, we don't refer people for abortions, but all you have to do is look and this date this. I said, all you have to do is look in the yellow pages under A and you can find abortion services. We're not keeping anyone from doing this. Um, we're not, we're not physically barring anyone for making that choice and that the room kind of fell silent and I and I told her I said this is what we offer and I was able to, to share about what it was that we actually do and one of the things that I love about the work of pregnancy resource centers is that we are caring for both the woman and both their unborn child and so we are engaging physically, spiritually, emotionally with that woman. And we are sharing honest truths and just answering the questions that she has, regardless of what choice she makes. Um, So we are offering answers to those questions, as well as helping her to see the value in the life that's growing inside of her. And that's regardless of how that life was formed or what um you know any other factor um we're offering those services and and love to her for absolutely free so um so when we say when you say uh pro pro woman pro pre-born the idea is when we're when we're ministering when when we're advocating for pro-life it's not just a political voice. It's, wait a minute, we are gospel-driven. As Christ followers, we're driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the hope for people. Uh, right. So we want to save the life of this baby. We want to save the life of this pre-born human. But we want to, this, this is a person that's either not a believer. This mother, this woman is either not a believer, so she's unregenerate and without hope in the world, enslaved to something greater than herself, more powerful than herself, or she is a a believer who's now facing such a catastrophic thing to, in, in her, in her estimate, this is more than she can deal with or more than she wants to deal with. So it could be that she's, I mean, any number of scenarios, she could be overwhelmed with desperation, and this is an act of desperation. She could be in a place of obstinate rebellion, and this is an act of rebellion. But whatever it is, Jesus is the answer for this woman. Let's not forget the mama. Let's not forget this person created in the image of God who herself was once a preborn human, who is a human being who is created in the image of God, who needs Jesus either for salvation or for healing and restoration. Let's don't forget that. Let's advocate for the life of this child, but let's also make sure this woman feels loved and supported and cared for and that we that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Is that that's what we're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. And I would say that a lot of times the work of pregnancy resource centers gets really misconstrued and, and people people think, Okay, a woman's going in there, um, maybe you know, I've had people say well, I'm not sending anyone there because you guys are just going to scare her. It's like, no, 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 no. You've misunderstood entirely. Can I say that no one's ever used that tactic? No. I mean, there have been plenty of people, um, you know, sidewalk advocates outside of abortion clinics who would use scare tactics or, you know, things like that to, to try to persuade a woman. But in the work that I have been blessed to do, it's exactly what you said, Brody, that you're seeing this woman as a woman made in the image of God, who lives in a sinful world where whether, whether and we, we can get into these issues, whether they are pregnant from no fault of their own in some horrific instance, or whether 
they are just experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and that messes up their plans for whatever they thought they'd be doing in life, you're talking to someone who needs to hear how the gospel pertains to her life and and how that understanding will change the way she sees herself and the way she sees her unborn child. And so this ministry, it affects women at an incredibly vulnerable point in their lives where they need to be seen, they need to be heard, and they need to be handed both the truth about the reality of if they make the choice to abort their unborn child, the reality is that will that will follow them around for the rest of their lives. And that is something that many people, Planned Parenthood, other abortion rights advocacy groups are very uncomfortable with that fact. The fact that abortion is, is not something that you can do and just walk away from and never think about again. And so being able to walk with a woman, regardless of if she walks out the doors of a center or, you know, for instance, if you're ministering within your church to, to women experiencing this, regardless of if they walk out of the doors of your church and go make a choice that you don't want them to make and you know will have a terrible effect on their life, you know, being able to love those women and to still hold the door open to say there's healing, there's restoration, there's redemption um, that goes well beyond any, any sin that you have done. And so um, that's the reality of what's going on in so many of the pregnancy resource centers in our country today. I think, uh, I think even like if we take a woman who's, who's, uh, I think most Christians can be warm to the idea of, let me, let me paint a scenario that I think most Christians would be warm to, uh, a young, um, a young girl, she's 17 years old. She's 18 years old. She doesn't have a daddy. She's raised in a single parent home with a mom who's, who's, who's got her own issues, um, maybe maybe her mom had her as a teenager. It's just we've all seen this situation where they live in subsidized housing. They're 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 in one way victims of their circumstances, and this kid's desperate, and 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 this is gonna this is gonna just perpetuate the cycle for her. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't have support. She's all alone in the world. She thought this boy was gonna love her, and she believed mm-hmm. the lie. Now she's facing this pregnancy. He's abandoned her. He doesn't want anything to do with her. I think Christians can get on board with, hey, how can we minister to her while trying to help her carry right. through with this pregnancy? But where I think Christians get tend to get combative is the woman who's a feminist. She's she's militant. She's she's almost um, yeah. making abortion a trophy. Um, it's harder for people to get on board with that. You know, when, when I saw a woman bragging about, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of all three abortions I've had. They're kind of trophies for me. And so people, I think they take offense to that. They want to combat that. But the reality is that person's blinded by their sin and yeah, they're hardened in their sin, but what happens, man, we, we need to see what Christ is capable of when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's praying for those that are that are killing him. And he tells us in the Beatitudes, bless those that persecute you as Christians. One of the hardest things to do is to, to really have a a heart of compassion towards people like that. And, and, and I want to be clear, there is a fine line because it's, it is, it's a war at times for the preborn human, for that child. And we are, and, and there are times where we're fighting for that, but this, you know, even even thinking about a woman who is in that frame of mind right now, that it's hard for us to be compassionate towards or to love. Man, she's at one point in her life down the road, she's going to face what we already know is a mm-hmm. reality, which is what have I done? And she's going to deal with consequences, and she's going to deal with guilt. And if we can if we can see her in that framework, in that light, less than as the enemy, but as someone who is deceived and blinded and fooled, it, it reminds me of. I don't remember all of the names from I'm I'm reading Lord of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings right now. And mm-hmm. there's a scene in uh, in the second in, in uh, the let's see, in the second one, um, the the second book where there's a king 
who's been held under the spell um, of, of, of Sauron and of like he's under this wicked, evil spell and he's acting out of that in a right. very horrible way. He's, he's abusing his, his people. He's controlling yeah. them. He's given, you know, credence to evil. But once that spell is broken and he's, you know, by Gandalf and he's brought out of that, he, he's got remorse. What have I done? And he, and he wants to work to restore. I think we got to see people as being under the spell and the captivity of sin regardless of yeah. how that's fleshing itself out for the, for the person that's desperate and broken and hurting, it's easy for us to show compassion to them. What about the person who's militant and obstinate and hateful and they need to be set free from their sin and only Jesus can do that. We just have, I'm not saying that, that we then capitulate to that person, but I'm saying we gotta, we gotta remember what we're really about here as Christ followers and as, as, as heralds of the gospel. And I think that's what I'm, something that I'm hearing that I'm, I'm, I've tried to articulate in my own mind, but your emphasis on it's not just about this child. It's also about this mother and her salvation. I think that's so yeah. important. And I think we have to keep in mind, I remember being in college and I think it was a sociology class and we were reading a book and it, and it there was a narrative in the book in which a woman recounted, and she was a young feminist, and she had had an abortion, and she recounted in these very cold, calculated terms ex the experience of this abortion and how it kind of galvanized her about the right to choose abortion and how positive the abortion had ended up being in her life. And, and I just, I remember reading that and thinking, this is such propaganda to to have college girls who could very well be in the same situation read this and be like, okay, well, if this this other feminist could go through this and and you know see it as this positive thing in her life, then so you know so can I. Mm -hmm. And I I totally get the side in which Christians or even people who aren't Christians who, who would just find that abhorrent um, would, would say, okay, but what, what about that woman who, like you said, is maybe even to the point of being proud of having had an abortion, you know, see it as a very viable means of birth control or population control, or there's a lot of issues out there that, that, a lot of people who believe in abortion rights want to kind of put the right to abortion under, you know, that spin it in a positive light. And the fact of the matter is that's just a narrative that we're telling ourselves to ease our consciences, to sear our consciences from the reality of what we've done. Mm -hmm. um, because if we need to be proud about it, if we need to talk about it and be proud about it, the, the flip side of that is there must be something inherently shameful about it if we need to be that proud of it. And so I think that one thing as Christians we need to look at and something I want to talk about is the kind of culture that we build around us and the kind of things that we allow to be a part of our everyday life that I believe kind of feed an undercurrent that if we're not careful will draw us away from a biblical mindset about what it is to kill an unborn child. And I think one place you can go and think about it, you can think about death in two ways. And I think in our culture, one, we have sensationalized death. You know, it's, this is we're recording this in October, and we got Halloween coming up at the end of the month, and people are just fascinated with the macabre and the, you know, the you know, I think like The Walking Dead. I know I'm going to step on some toes because I know there's some probably Walking Dead fans out there listening to this. You know, but like <laughs> there's some dark stuff out there that we just feed ourselves. And then we expect that we're going to have these these worldviews that, that track towards life. Well, guess what? Like we're just feeding the darkness in our own hearts when we begin to see death as anything other than the result 
a sin. And don't get me wrong, I love Halloween. I love to dress up in some funny costumes, but we in our house have a rule like we don't dress up as anything freaky or scary. And no judgment on someone who does, but like what is it that we are are portraying to the world and what is it that we are feeding our own minds that could be drawing us away from really understanding that as believers we should be ambassadors of life in every possible way. And so I think you know, if we as, as Christians are often feeding ourselves that, so much more is the world. And so why are we surprised that the idea of killing an unborn child that we can't see is acceptable? Because we'll watch things on TV that we see with our own eyes mm-hmm. and we laugh or we're, we're intrigued or we rewind it and watch it again. I mean, it's just, there is a, our culture is, is being drawn towards death every way if they aren't being drawn towards Christ. And on the other side of that, you have this idea, and I, I've seen it even in the in the birth doula work that I've done, you know, the idea that like this is kind of a new age thing of like death is a relief. You know, that this is the other view of death is something to be welcomed, embraced. Well for someone who is not a believer, death is never to be welcomed mm. and embraced mm. because for the believer and, you know, in First Corinthians, we're, we're told, you know, what, so where, where's, uh, where's death's thing? Where's death's victory? And that the, that thanks be to God that we have victory over death, but that is only for the believer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for a woman who has had an abortion, who has not experienced the redemption and of God in her life, that, that abortion it will always have a sting. Mm. Um, but for someone who has not experienced the healing that, that the Holy Spirit can bring and that Christ through the gospel can bring to that woman, um, abortion will always be an ugly, ugly, ugly thing that w- they will not be experiencing any healing from in this life or sadly the next. And But for the woman who has, received the gospel have experienced that healing that is a narrative that can be written in her life of beautiful redemption i know so many women that that not only have experienced abortion and then the healing spirit but have also gone on to minister and be a part of abortion recovery for for women who have experienced that Mm. and I think we really have to think about how, what, what culture are we building in our lives? Is it a culture of death or is it a culture of life? And if we're building a culture of life, then let's make that a really robust culture that we're building in our churches and in our communities. Because naturally, our communities, even within our churches, are not being drawn to the light of Christ that permeates everything in Including this issue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man, it's so good. The uh, I, I love what you said about how for the believer the sting of death has been removed, but for the but that that is that's a believer's promise. That's not a promise for an unbeliever, and 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 for someone who doesn't have the hope of Christ and the hope of the gospel, death is so final and and so hopeless and. The way I think the way you worded it was um, for for a person who goes through with an abortion, there's going to be a point where the sting of death just is constant or it lingers, it stays with them. I think that's such a good image. But then also the hope for, you know, the, the person who's listening who has walked down that path and has had an abortion, the sting of death is removed from you. It's not just removed from the believer as far as, well, as a, as, as a Christ follower, the sting of death is removed in that when I die, I'm going to go into this eternal life with Christ. But the sting of death in your past act of abortion is removed. Jesus brings value and redemption and healing to that. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's healing and freedom from that. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't and I don't know how you live without that hope. Agreed. Yeah. I, I you can try, but it will be empty. I I've seen so many women who I abortion is an issue 
that when a woman has experienced it, when she begins to really deal with the death or with the, the depths of that sorrow, of that, that loss, and, and it's different from a woman who's experienced a mis- miscarriage, um, you know, that the guilt is so deep um, for those women. And the gospel removes that guilt, that, that the freedom that I have seen women and the hope um, that I've seen women experience is incredible. Um, but that hope, again, is only tied to Christ. Yeah. Only tethered to Christ and to the gospel. Man, it's so good. Such, uh, so, and, and that's when you talk about death culture versus life culture. That, that's what we're talking about is the difference the gospel makes, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that there is, there should be a different way that we as Christians walk in terms of um, how the gospel permeates the culture that we are a part of. And something, the pregnancy care center that I work with here in Morganton, it's something that we have said over and over again is that that's what we are about is creating a culture of life in our county mm. in that culture that flows from the work we do at the center out into our community from the churches that we partner with um, that we are creating that very countercultural culture that we are showing women and their families that there's a different way to be to live life that that you can walk with christ and have the hope of the gospel and that 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 changes everything that changes the trajectory of your life. That changes what you believe um, is possible in your life. What what God calls you to as a believer is different than just living life apart from Christ. And and that looks like hope from we use the words also like from the cradle to the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be extensive work. Um, and this is something when we get to the the very end of of all this that just talking about like how how do people in in our communities see themselves as ministers of the gospel you don't in order to be pro-life it doesn't mean you have to go work or volunteer at your pregnancy care center it could very well mean that but it can be so much more robust than that it could be having a, a kid who comes from a really rough home over for dinner one night a week mm. you know it, mm. it it could be adopting a child, but it could also be deciding that you're going to specialize in um, OBGYN medicine and you become a medical director volunteer for a pregnancy care center. It could mean mentoring young fathers who didn't have fathers themselves. You know, it's just, it, there is no end to how we can build a culture of life. The end to death culture is always death. It's very narrow, but, but God calls us to so much more than that <laughs> he calls us mm-hmm. to everything that he's given us to minister to those who are without the hope of the gospel to those who death still stinks yeah yeah man it's so hopeful it's so hopeful and it is and it's because uh for us the gospel drives everything and and everything is centered around the gospel Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, and I think, you know, you talk about a pro-life apologetic for, you know, for people that may not be familiar. I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with the term apologetic, but the idea of, of a, a grounded defense of the faith in your own, first in your own mind and your own heart that, you know, I, I think people think of apologetics as being, well, I've got to be able to, de- to win a debate about Christianity when really the first line of apologetics defense is in your own mind, dealing with your own doubts, and when you your faith comes under attack. So, like, go back to the the conversation, the part of the conversation where we're talking about being at UNCA, and you're you're in a secular progressive setting where you're, a, I mean, a, just totally a minority, 
and your faith comes under scrutiny and attack, the apologetic defense is first and foremost to withstand that attack, not to go on the offense. And right. So you've, you've got to have an apologetic that, that enables you to be firm in your own conviction and belief about something. And then when someone is in a position where their heart is opening and they're asking questions and they're struggling with their own worldview or they're struggling with their own um, political or social or cultural view about a particular subject or topic, when they're starting to open up to, to answers and ask questions, that's where then the apologetic becomes a tool to help someone else. And a pro-life, a pro-life apologetic is driven by the gospel, but it's also when, when it, it's, it's important for when not only withstanding the attack against your own view, but then when that woman who's dealing with, am I making the right choice? And they're doubting and they're asking questions and their heart and their mind are opening up and you're able to say, listen, let me, let me talk to you about who Jesus is and what he believes about you and about your child. That is that a gospel centered pro-life apologetic. Is that the starting point for that or kind of the, the thrust of that? Yeah, I think that that is absolutely the starting point. I think for me, my discussions have rarely ever started with words in terms of this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pull like a, um, what is it? The Aquinas uh, quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to pull it. St. Francis. Uh, St. Francis. Yeah. Preach the gospel always and use words if necessary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to pull that, but what I think, you know, since, June 24th of this year, which was when um, the Dobbs decision that reversed Roe v. Wade happened, uh, I, you know, how many people I have heard say, well, all right, now it's time for all you pro-lifers to put your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. and, and say things like that to me as someone who, who knows so many believers who give so much of their time, money, and energy to ministering to people, it, it just kind of, you know, I've tried to not take it personally. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because I do so many believers who who do this work, so many families, including your own Brody, who have adopted children, you know, that are doing this work. Um, and obviously, there's there's so much more to be done. Um, but rarely have my conversations with people ever started with me actually talking about it. It's usually they find out what I do, um, you know, the things that I'm involved with, the decisions I've personally made, and out of that discussions about why I believe the things that I believe. And so being prepared to give a defense in terms of, of my pro-life beliefs um, usually comes on the back end of discussing the actions that I also. Mm-hmm. And so I do think in terms of this, I don't think it's always that with apologetics in terms of explaining um, you know, theology or our, our overarching beliefs. But I think when it comes to this, that our best defense is, is what we're actually doing. Mm. I think that's why there have been so many people on the other side that, it, that has been just had their beliefs reinforced because so many people who are pro-life just want to talk about the issue and they want to um, talk about all the atrocities. They, they, and, and again, Sin is horrific, period. Mm-hmm. Um, sin separates us from God. And sin, um, when sin entered into the world, uh, the the seed of abortion entered into the world. That, that was destined to happen. And I think that we have to have a more robust way to explain our pro-life views than simply just words about how wrong people are for believing um, that women should have a choice to abort their unborn babies. It, we can, we can do better than that as believers to put our hands and work behind that. And I think that, like you said earlier, what we believe and having that thought out is naturally going to flow into the actions that we take. That's good. Uh, I think, man, I just thought of this. Uh, It's like a person who is pro-abortion 
and and is and is passionate about that, you know, and they can call it what they want to, women's health care or a woman's right to choose, whatever. Right. But they're passionate. That's their thing. They have a course of action. The course of action is to abort babies. Now that sounds terrible and it's like someone might hear that and, and be very offended, but because what I think most people would say is, no, it's the action is to have you get to choose. But there there is a legitimate action that a person can take where, where they exercise their opinion or their the side of this that they land on. And it is walking into an abortion clinic, having an abortion um, performed. It's it's the, the, the mobile abortion clinic that I read about in the state of Illinois right now because bordering states to Illinois are banning abortion access. So now this mobile abortion RV bus is going to drive along the border and make accessible abortion for people in other states. And so they have action that they're taking. Christians, and I'm going to rant a little bit here, Christians will talk about abortion. They'll post their things on Instagram and Facebook that are pro-life messages, and then They'll let kids sit in need of foster care and not do anything about it. Or they'll and and it's not just that every believer needs to foster and or adopt. We're fostering right now. We got a kid living with us right now that I consider my own kid now, even though he's not legally. But I'm, I'm, that's the way we're approaching it. We've adopted twice, yeah. But then here's this situation. God's given us an opportunity to be a part of, and. And I'm so grateful that there are people in our church that are not fostering and they're not adopting, but they're supporting us by providing rides to ball practices, bringing us a meal every week. Every week, at least one night a week, a family from our church brings us a full meal so that little doesn't have to prepare it between managing and and balancing multiple kids that we didn't make. You know what I mean? Like God's expanded our family in a beautiful way. But there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. There's things people can do to get involved. Don't just put a freaking post on your Instagram about who yeah. to vote for because they're and they're they're going to elect judges that are going to be pro-life. Like, what are you doing? Well, not what are you saying? Not what are you posting? What are you doing? There's somebody in your community. There's a single mom. There's a young mom who had a baby. She had the courage to go through with it. Or maybe it wasn't a courage thing. Maybe it was she didn't have the opportunity to get an abortion, so she didn't. But what are you doing to help her? What are you doing for the family in your church that's fostering three kids? Could you provide them a meal once a week? Could you do some laundry for them? Could you go over and help them with some yard work? Like, let's, let's be people of action not just, right. yes, let's be people of action like what you said. It's not first, what am I saying? It's what am I doing? Let's love people. Let's care for people. Let's encourage and support, especially young mothers, potential mothers who are in crisis or distress. They're at this crossroads. But let's also, let's impact other areas of our culture within the arena of kids that were born either without loving families or out of wedlock or, or, or they're in desperate situations, Christians need to be people of action. It's not a, it's not just a Francis Assisi quote, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Yeah, preach the gospel and use words, but then live out a life that is reflective of your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to take care of widows and orphans. How many Christians do you know? How many Christians do I know? that mm-hmm. go to church every Sunday, that vote pro-life, that wave the banner and wear the hat and have the shirt and the bumper sticker, but don't do jack squat for people that are in need who have been affected by not a child being born into a, a non-biblical family as far as, when I say biblical, biblical model of a mother and a father and, 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 and people that love Jesus and love their kids. Like, what are you doing to help? You know what I mean? Right. Oh, I do know what you mean. And I think, I think the, the, the thing that in some ways just breaks my heart is because of the work that I'm involved with, I constantly am getting to see that God is at work. Like God is at work and he, he wants us to be about what he is doing. Choose to not. We can choose to see the need and we can stiff arm that and say, eh, but I don't have time or I don't, you know, or just be honest and say, I don't really care. Mm. And um, it amazes me of, I mean, we live in a county that has roughly 300 churches and the churches of those 300 churches, we have 
about 30 that consistently support our center. And one thing that I will say is that uh, God's going to do what he's going to do. And nobody's going to stop him from doing that. I, I hadn't planned to tell this story, but this is, this is a story that is just un, really unreal. So in the fall of 2019, we looked at things as a pregnancy care center. We're a very small center, but we serve a, the far reaches of our county, which is 515 square miles. And so we have a, a big space that we are trying to cover. And we have a very diverse community, a very large Guatemalan population in our community. Um, and we spent a lot of time getting to know what our community really looked like. But our center had been kind of moved a little bit off the beaten path. And we were a little far removed from like our downtown area of our main city in the county. And so we began to look at the opportunities. You mentioned that in Illinois, they have a mobile abortion clinic. Well, we began to look at the opportunity to have a mobile pregnancy care center um, unit. And so there's an organization based out in Colorado called Save the Storks. They're a fairly well-known pro-life organization. They do phenomenal work. I cannot highly recommend the work that they do as far as helping to educate people, helping to get centers to a place where they are effectively ministering in their community. Well, they have a program. They began actually by helping pregnancy resource centers to be able to have these mobile units. And so in the fall of 2019, of course, not knowing that the pandemic would hit, we began to raise funds to buy this unit, to have this unit built. And as you can imagine, it's not, not a cheap endeavor, very, very expensive. So roughly in the order of about $250,000 that we were going to have to raise for this thing. And again, we're a very small pregnancy care center in a rural foothills of North Carolina mountain town. And uh, so we begin to raise the funds, the pandemic hits. So then not only are we raising the funds to uh, run the center at a time when donations across the board for any kind of nonprofit ministry based or otherwise were down and churches were struggling themselves financially, but we were committed to raising the funds for this thing. So we thought, okay, well, if we could have this unit in five years, in five years, we'll, we'll be, we'll be set we can do that. That's a doable timeline. Um, and so we were kind of slowly chipping away. And um, so we were raising the funds and shortly before, um, let's see, shortly before the end of last year, Save the Storks contacted us and said, hey, listen, we, um, we could have your unit built by September of next year if you guys can get the funds. And we were like, no, no, this was not the timeline that we, we were on. That's like less than a year away. Um, well, God just started bringing in the money um, through just a series of different donors and grant money and individual people who saw the need. And that's the thing. People within our county who were passionate about this and who hold these pro-life beliefs stepped up, said, we believe that this is the, the way that God wants to minister in this county and we want to be a part of it we want to be about what god is doing and so we went in the course of six months from having maybe 30 percent of what we needed um, to fully funding this unit and not only that but it was built and it drove on our property on june 27th mm. of this year and that date is important because on June 24th, that previous Friday, was the Dobbs ruling that repealed Roe v. Wade. Whoa, that's crazy. And that unit rolled onto our property completely debt-free. And I walked onto that unit, I sat down, and I wept. Hmm. Because there were so many turns at which, but for the grace of God, working through people who believe that not only is this a, a, a an ethic to hold, but it is a, a mission and ministry that is deeply rooted in the heart of God and in the gospel. Um, 
people putting their their money where their mouth is to make this happen and to be a part of what God was doing. And like I said, like we thought five years and then we thought, okay, well, if we're going to do it, then it's going to be in the fall. And that unit rolled on our property three days after that ruling. No coincidence. <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no way other than God doing it. <laughs> yeah. Cause and, uh, we don't believe in coincidence. No, no, not at all. And to be a part of that, it convinces me that, that God is at work in all these situations from the foster kid who's waiting for someone to, to adopt them to anybody who walks in that pregnancy care center or anyone who walks into a Planned Parenthood. God, God is at work and is sovereign over every single one of those situations. And as believers, let's be obedient. Let's be obedient to stepping into that space and using whatever God's given us, whether it's money, time, skill, et cetera, to be about what God's already doing. Mm. That's good. Man, that's good stuff. Well, I think I think we got to wrap this one up because you have yeah. some mama duties. <laughs> um, we've been we've been I've enjoyed our visit, and I'd like to just pick this conversation up. We'll set up a time to go ahead and pick it back up. And I love you. I, I love your family. I appreciate you coming on and being a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. Love you too. And thanks so much for just giving me the opportunity to just share and talk about this stuff. Awesome. We'll do it again in, in a few days. Tell Kyle I said hey and we'll talk to you soon. All right, well, um, thanks for listening in uh, to that conversation. I know it was lengthy. That was a longer episode. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Now, I'm excited to bring her back on. Um, and I, we've got bullet points and an outline of where we're going to go next. And we're going to get into – I do want to get into a little bit of, okay, politically, what do we do? From a, from an activism standpoint, what, what can we do? What is there for us to do? that's both protective and, and advocating for the, the pre-born, unborn human, but also how can we minister to mamas? But then how can we be active when it comes to laws and legislation and things like that? Um, we'll get into some of that in the next episode. We'll sit down, Lord willing, and, uh, and, and continue this conversation next week. In the meantime, you guys keep your eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and uh, I hope this is an awesome week for you. And so we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.